0: Welcome to the Always Hope Podcast with Dr. Mario, a production of Willwood's Faith in Marriage. Social media is ruining everything. It's killing our brains and relationships. That is what we hear. And while, yes, there is truth to that, what if social media isn't the problem per se? What if the problem rests on the lack of charity and virtue within the users themselves? What if the onus was on us to be better, not the technology? Joining me today is social communications expert, Dr. Daniela Jupon-Jerome, Professor of Pastoral Theology and Director of Lay Formation Programs at Notre Dame Seminary. She has one of the most clear and nuanced voices on this topic. In this show, we start by examining what communication is in a broader and theological context. Then we talk about the good digital media has to offer and the reasons for the troll culture found on the internet. We look at the Catholic Church scandals of 2002 and 2018 and talk about how the rise of digital media in that 16-year span has influenced the nature of the conversations had by the laity. This episode is a reminder to me and everyone who listens that we are called to love and charity of our neighbors in all places, even digital ones. Thanks for listening to the show, and remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher so you don't miss out on future episodes now let's get into this interview with Dr. Daniela Dr. Daniella good morning how are you doing
1: Dr. Mario I'm so pleased to be here and to have this conversation with you and and just the hospitalities you extended to topics like this more broadly so I'm, I'm truly joyful to be part of this and hopefully this is something we can offer the list listeners. Um, as an edifying topic that's relevant, um, not just to culture, but to their faith as well. So yeah. good to be here.
0: I hope so. Thanks so much. Now, before we jump into any conversation related to communication, I have to ask, how's little Gabriel doing?
1: My son Gabriel. So it should be noted for this conversation that Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, is one of the patrons of communications. Yes! And I named my son after him. As you know, you have also taken this name seriously in your family, I know. Um, but so this is a topic really dear to my heart. And yeah, God has blessed us with this little boy. Um, who really is such a joy to our lives and um, taught me so much. After years and years and years of formal study, I feel like I'm really learning for the first time as a mother. And what an amazing lesson after lesson after lesson it has been. And God is good all the time. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Any words of wisdom you like to offer working moms listening to the show?
1: I think um, if I could go back and do it again, I've only had about a year and a few months in as experience, but um, there really is a communal process. And to ask for, for help and ask for more help and not to be shy seeking the community of other women, other other friends, other other people who are close as a, as a new life comes into being in a family, mm-hmm. in, a, in a community. To ask for more help and, and gather more people around. I think that's a bit of wisdom because without one another, it's really overwhelming.
0: Amen, amen. So all you moms listening to the show, you don't have to do it alone.
1: Absolutely Get not.
0: help, get help and ask for help. All right, so I'm excited about this interview. Um, For a few reasons, I guess. First and foremost, it's interesting when we talk about communication, particularly I work in a marriage ministry. the, The topic always goes to, oh, communication and marriage, communication and marriage, communication and marriage. And I am a marriage counselor and am an expert certainly in that, I guess, if I can claim that, some level of expertise in helping people through whatever communications they have, issues they have in a relationship. But you're a communication expert as well, but in a different vein and have dedicated your life's work, your study to focusing on communication, digital communication, and I think it's awesome. Uh, so I'm, I'm eager just to see kind of how our perspectives meet in this conversation, so that, that's one. But before we get into any sort of practical or even scientific kind of technical discussion on communication, let's stay broad, right? Uh, so the first question I wanna ask you is, what do you see as theological premises uh, that undergird communication in, in dialogue?
1: I think that's a really important question and a fundamental question actually to start with. And I'll preface it by saying, when I work with this topic professionally in the context of, of parishes or ministries, very often the question goes quickly to the gadget or mm-hmm. the platform or right. whatever the latest thing is through which digital encounters are occurring. And I think that's conversation number seven down the road. Seven is just a random number. just It's further conversation. So yes. rightly so, it is to start with the fundamental idea of what this endeavor actually is, that two people are trying to connect with each other and how do you do it? Um, So we have to start there. And so for me, communication, first and foremost, is something we ought to foster within ourselves spiritually. There's a spiritual disposition to which... Um, that 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 then gets played out in how we relate with others. So first of all, how do we relate with God? That's our spirituality. But how does that form how we relate with others? And communication is a profound part of that. So to me, communication is theological and spiritual before it's practical, mm-hmm. and certainly before it's digital, right? So so some pre- some points then within that. I would say to take from the Catholic Church's tradition this beautiful theology of communication that has been more and more clearly expressed in some of our contemporary documents that talk, for example, about communication being essentially a gift of self offered in love, that that's what it is. Again, before it's a, you know, a TV show or a radio broadcast or uh, something digital. What is it? It's a gift of self offered in love. And so how do we do that authentically as people of faith, as human beings? And so there are a couple of places we can turn to, to look for examples of that, that edify that picture, such as how has God communicated himself to us? What does that look like? What does that mean that God's fullest self-communication is the incarnation of the word? I mean, the word already, that's a communication term and we call Jesus that. So what can we learn from the incarnation for our communication practices? What can we learn from the spirit? Because it's the spirit who gives us the ability to speak sensed up a room at Pentecost. Mm-hmm. That's who came and blew over the, mm-hmm. those disciples um, to give them the language, the words, to reach out to people who didn't even have a common language to speak to each other at the festival there in Jerusalem. So how can we in, be in step with the Holy Spirit when we endeavor to communicate, especially the content of faith? Also basic theological question within it. Um, and how profoundly human communication is. So I, I kind of just drew from the tradition a couple of key elements there, but our documents on this also call us back to the fact that this is a profoundly human reality to communicate and to do it authentically. I love um, one of the more recent Communications Day messages, World Communications Day messages, which the church puts out each year since 1967. But one of the more recent ones talks about communication as it unfolds in the family, which is an intersection for both of our topics here. And how Pope Francis, because he's the one that um, authored that document, talks about the mother's womb being the first school of communication that we experience. Like, that almost makes me cry. I might cry a little bit. Um, And how the child within stirring and responding to stimuli that he or she might hear, you know, signals to the mother his or her presence. And there's a mutuality that develops there and how intimate that is. Right. Like Whether you're a Christian or Catholic or a believer or not, like we all start with that, that beautiful intimacy and interconnectedness and encounter. So how do we build on that for how we communicate with others? And then if you're a Christian and a Catholic, our tradition gives us these other elements to take this more seriously and even profoundly. But we all start with that. Um, So a lot of different things laid out in this answer, but we can pick up on a number of them as we move forward in the conversation, I hope.
0: Yeah, let's go right there. So if if communication then is not just about words or even just exchanging ideas, it's really about encountering another person. That the first place that we really encounter another is in the womb, as you said so beautifully, that the child feels safety, security by the mother, that the, the child is communicated uh, in love and and feels the motions of of the mom. And And there's this reciprocity, there's this encounter that's happening. And so that's really what communication, if I'm hearing you right, is at its heart is trying to do is how do we encounter another person and how do we really come to understand who they are by listening? But then how do I try to communicate who I am to the other through my words, through my actions, through my emotions? Am I hearing you right?
1: Absolutely. And there's a beautiful Gradualness to that process too. So in that same world communications document, Francis begins with the womb, but then he then he begins to then expand that to family, and then the broader society. So as we learn these things, so we get we have this intimate encounter and mutuality, then then gets extended expanded a little bit in the family when the child is born and there's a mama and a daddy and siblings maybe or grandparents or whatnot, and so then the capacity to encounter another and listen, but also make a gift of oneself is tested and, and grows in a lot of ways, you know, and sometimes it's, there's conflict in family, as you know, maybe from your work with married couples, as you mentioned, and those are lessons. And from f- my
0: personal experience as a husband and father.
1: Obviously, and me too. <laughs> um, but those are testing points and growth points for communication and our disposition to it, to understand, for example, just the basic fact that there's language, right? That we learn language once we're, I mean, my little son's babbling these days. He's 14 months, you know, so like watching him learn that learning language um, that communicates language, but that also communicates the idea to that child on some level that the world doesn't begin with me. Right. I'm born into a tradition right. that has these words for these concepts Awesome. And so I am subject to it in a way. Right. But it it also unfolds me and calls me into being and calls me to be part of its language and express myself in its language. So I think there's a real beauty to that, too, that we grow and start with that intimacy and that mutuality. But that expands, you know, in a way that calls us forth, calls us into being all the while listening to something greater than ourselves. And if that doesn't if that doesn't speak to spirituality as well, I don't know what does, right? Like right. listening to something greater than ourselves that calls us toward a becoming and a fullness. That's God's invitation to us too, in the same way. So, again, a lot to a lot to unpack there. Um, it's a
0: beautiful. No, it's beautiful because I think what you said is this encounter. There is a context for it, and in some in a big part of that is the culture that we're that we're invited into, that we're born into, and recognizing that you know, we don't exist in a vacuum and that as I'm trying to communicate who I am and trying to understand who other people are, I mean, this happens within the context of communities, within language, particular language, we're speaking English right now, not Spanish, not Hungarian or any other language that we could be speaking, but we're, we we're communicating in English. And then just that, because that becomes the, what's the word here? The mode upon which that we are trying to communicate, right? We're using language as the vehicle that we are, that we are encountering one another.
1: Absolutely. Right? And language, I would add, because I know both of us have other, like I my first language is Hungarian. Is Spanish your first language?
0: I guess it, both. I mean, I left Nicaragua when I was two, okay. so I, I kind of grew up speaking both.
1: But you know both. yeah So that language isn't just text, right? right? But the broader idea of how do I present myself in the world and communicate myself wholly and fully and tone and gesture and just presence right and
0: idiosyncrasies and yes, all yes, of yes. That. Yeah.
1: and i think there's a real beauty to understanding language more broadly that way because that too calls forth that self gift more broadly than just what are the precise words of my vocabulary right? right right to think about it more wholly is think about it more human
0: amen yeah amen what happens when we fail to see communication as an act of love what happens when we fail to see dialogue as as an act of self-gift?
1: I think um, anybody who's listening to this who's been on social media recently and, and sees common feeds gone awry, <laughs> I will say, right, um, can begin thinking about the same question with us as we're talking about this. Because well, Why don't
0: we just hold off on the social media piece? So we'll get to that in a second. Let's focus just back to the concept about families. What, what about when we see it in families, when we see it even in personal interactions? before we kind of get into digital Good. media.
1: Good, and you can chime in on this because of your previous work or your current ministry as well. But as, you could, as you've as you probably seen in your counseling work, when we don't connect and communicate and give gifts of ourselves authentically to another and receive that back, then there's division, there's isolation, right? And there's a brokenness of relationship and that could, that could be severing relationships ultimately. So really for us to existing community and to experience a sense of communion, which is profoundly at the heart of the sacrament of marriage and married life, right? Right. Both, you know, physical, but also emotional. We're in communion with our spouses. If we don't communicate, that communion suffers for it. That's right. It really does. And so I think that's the link there of if we don't put forth the words and gestures and give of ourselves, even if we don't feel like it's invited, or even if we feel like the other spouse is tired or frustrated or grumpy, we don't take that risk to still go make a gift of ourselves in, in whatever way that is appropriate at the moment. I think we're risking that communion, chipping away at it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and you've seen this in your work, I'm sure, uh, or just in experience. So there's a profound connection there. When we, if we don't communicate well and effectively and work at it, it breaks It breaks that bond. It really can.
0: What do you think we can do to be better communicators in marriages and relationships?
1: I think to take more risks and to um, not depend our communication on the willingness for hospitality or the other. And let me qualify that because I don't mean to go and chase your spouse and badger them or nag them. Right. But, but what I mean is it's a responsibility to work at. And sometimes it doesn't feel like we should sit down and have a talk or we should extend ourselves and, you know, give of ourselves and reach out of ourselves. It, it doesn't always feel like that. Sometimes we just want to curl up with Netflix, right? At the end of the day and say, right. I'm going to watch this and zone out. Right. So it doesn't always feel like a germane time to seek that communion. Mm-hmm. So I guess a, a bit of advice would be to not fall into the, fo- the fallacy of that, which is it's better if I just, you know, go on my little island in my pocket and not disturb the other or impose on the other or, you know.
0: Yeah, that's it. No, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And the hard part with it is we desire communion. Mm-hmm. We desire encounter. Everything that we talked about, what communication is, that desire is built within us. And so in marriage, when we fail to try to continue to communicate well, continue to encounter, continue to try to seek out and understand our spouse, or we reserve ourselves just for Netflix and kind of wall off. We're, we're doing the service, not just to the bond, not just to the community that's, that's there, but we're doing the service to our own hearts also.
1: Yes. It, it, there's a wholeness in relationship. We're made for each other. We really are. You know, from the garden on, maybe your previous podcast talked some about this, about men and women, but we truly are made for each other, made for a relationship in the image and likeness of God, who is Trinity, who is relationship within God's self. So if we're made for that relationship, we're made for that communion with Him, are opportunities for communion with each other, especially if they're sacramental ones, such as marriage, um, merit that. And even if the, it, there needs to be a more profound word than merit, like demand that, Amen. you know? And again, sometimes it's easier to wall off or go in a cave or whatnot, um, or be afraid or hurt to you know, impose. And I would add this too, that communication isn't always having that exhausting talk <laughs> No, of <laughs> with course another, not. Which I think many would maybe embrace like, gosh, I don't want to, you know, you sit next to your spouse and you just touch their arm or a text or a meaningful gesture that's that's like a, a sacramental small s to the co- to the communion of the two of you. Um, some symbol or gesture, just a token of love. Those communicate as well. It does not have to be exhaustive talks that, you know, end in tears or whatnot. But rather extending one, your, yourself as a gift in the broad sense of language that we have and how do we do
0: that? Amen. Always finding those points of connection and whatever those points of connection are for our spouses is going to be individual. So whatever the, whatever those are, uh, work at finding them and, and making sure you're cultivating those points of encounter. You're listening to Always Hope with Dr. Mario Sacasa. I'm in the midst of a great conversation with Dr. Daniela please head over to faithinmarriage.org for more great information on life, relationships, and faith. Let's shift uh, to digital communication, if we can. I've heard your lecture. I've read some of the other things that you've written before and in conversations you and I have had as well, one of the things I, I really have always appreciated about your perspective with this is that you take a very positive perspective on social media and digital communication. Everybody's probably by now has heard all the negativity about what iPhones are doing to our teenagers' brains and and all this other stuff. But while all that is true, there's also, I think what what at least I've heard, as a, I don't know if a mantra is too strong of a word, but an echo or just something, that's similar in your thought is, is that there's something really powerful in this medium that we can't just look to all the negative, and and say that there isn't any good that's here. So, since this is a podcast on hope, like what is the good then of digital communication?
1: I really appreciate you phrasing this question that way, and I would preface it by uh, my, I will preface my answer by saying that my perspective. On looking at this aspect of faith and culture, I really do strive to bring out of what I think is the Catholic Church's contemporary theology around faith and culture in general. So what have I perceived in the documents of the church, you know, since God emits best to more recent documents about how should the church engage with culture? And I think that those are always very balanced documents that always name cautions, but ultimately encourage us with hope to look forward to ways in which the seeds of the Word, Semina Verbi, are present in life. And how do we nurture those and and allow those to flourish? So culture, in a lot of ways, is a a blessed context and has a lot of potential for faith and for the gospel. I mean, again, thinking back to the Incarnation, Christ came into a culture, into a context, not held at arm's length, you know, but Mm -hmm. came into it right the fullest way. Yeah, right. So culture is is blessed, and so how do we find seeds of the word within it to uh, to, to foster and nourish? And so likewise from that, my understanding of digi- digital media, which I also see from church documents, is that essentially our ability to communicate and the technologies which we've invented are gifts, and they're gifted, and they're things that, um, I think Evangelium got, um, the not Enjoy the Gospel, I'm sorry, um, Evangelization in the Modern World, Paul VI, um, talks about these are gifts that human genius has developed that we would be embarrassed before the Lord if we didn't use, like our giftedness. So if we have these things and they exist in culture, they're going to be imperfect because we are also in a state of sin. And, you know, we, we grapple with that concupiscence. But at the same time, they have such potential. And so how do we work at bringing forth the good from them and use them for... You know, human development and flourishing in general, as well as authentic expressions of ourselves on an individual level toward community, toward communion. Like, that's all on the table. I don't know why that shouldn't be. That's all on the table for yeah. these things. And right. so, and yet, they're not always expressed that way. So, I think the Christians call and the Catholics call, whether you're a, 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 an ordained minister or a layperson or anywhere in between. Um, is to be intentional about our our communication practices so that those good fruits could be born Mm -hmm. and to be hopeful about the endeavor of social communication in such a way that those fruits could be born and in light of that be prophetic about our actions and our approaches to social communication on digital platforms so that it manifests those fruits um I think that there's human agency there and faithful people can show up to affect change in terms of what we're witnessing and and showing to those around us or to each other.
0: Right. So, I I mean, I've always had this love hate relationship. I love technology. I love my phone. I, I I love this. I mean, the desire for me to even start a podcast was born out of everything you just said, that there is, I've been blessed by the medium. There's a there's a real gift that's there that's, that has really helped me, and, and I hope that this show blessed others, not just this particular one, but the the podcast as a whole is a blessing to people. But I guess, what do you think? How do you think these mediums can be used to advance the gospel? And you spoke both about in a in a in a bigger sense in terms of human development, but then also on an individual level in terms of expressing oneself. How do, how do we see? These as being tools for preaching the Gospel, for evangelization, for encouraging human development,
1: good. Um, That's a great question. i would uh, I would, for this one, bring us back to our earlier part of our conversation, which talked about communication on its on its basic level of what it is as a human, and how is it a spiritual endeavor? And I think uh, a baseline starting point for evangelization with these media, isn't to talk about what gadget or platform, but again, thinking about how we could convey authentic communication as we understand it spiritually, theologically, and its most uh, human form on these platforms. So what does that mean? Well, earlier we talked about communion and encounter and mutuality and recognizing the other and extending yourself and making a gift of yourself to the other while communicating. So I would begin to discern my practices and yours and our practices in terms of are they in line with that spirit and the truth of that? Are they, am I, is what I'm posting or texting or whatever, liking, commenting on in the spirit of making a gift of myself in love to another? Is the spirit of it encountering the other to the best of my abilities through this platform and dignifying them instead of reducing their totality into a a string of words that I'm going to react to and fight with, right? Right, right. There's this screen in between, right, which can conceal a whole lot of reality. And we don't see the other like I see you right now in the flesh and talking with you and see your gestures. We don't do that on social media. We don't see each other. Rather, we see sort of artifacts of the other person and by the way, of their words or maybe sounds or images, but it's not the actual person of them in front of the other. And because there's that screen and that diminishment of, media richness, if you will, um, we, we we can react differently in a more reduced way. Mm-hmm. And I think to recall the presence of the person as a real full person um, is a spiritual discipline that we need to practice. Not just a mental reminder, but a spiritual discipline.
0: Yep. So the person who puts the YouTube video up, reminding yourself that those are not just pixels, but those are people. Yes. And so when I'm leaving comments Absolutely. on the bottom of the feed, not to just absorb the troll culture, uh, that that we kind of talk about, but to say that am, what am I leaving? Is it is it in charity? Is it is it is it in love? Is the question you keep going back to?
1: Yes. So and why
0: why then is it that I don't know? Like why do we fall so quickly into that? Why why are people? I mean, is it is it because we forget that there are people on the other side? Is it the asynchronous nature usually of these things? That's not a dialogue back and forth. Like a, like it could be on a text, I guess even. But if some people rant on that, but there's a there's a something posted. And so then I'm consuming that medium whenever, and then I can say whatever I want because the person has you know posted this thing a year ago or whatever. Is it that, is it that we're, that we're so cut off or I mean, what, what do you think?
1: I bet. Um, I will also turn this question back to you because I think from your psychological training, you could also illuminate this really well, but my, my inkling on this, and this is what I would usually present on if I'm asked this is That there's a diminishment not only of encounter, but also of the social responses that one gets that otherwise modify our encounters face-to-face. So, for example, if I were to say something mean to you or really bold to you right now, Mario, or just harsh, I would have to grapple then with your reaction to that. Correct. And see your face and how it's hurt, or your discomfort, or your anger. And... Because right, I, I can
0: blow up right now, yell, throw the chair, yes, whatever, so, slam and threaten or whatever because you made the comment or, or yes. even just roll my eyes and get real passive aggressive. Yes. Like you would have to, to deal with that in vivo. Yes.
1: And I would, I would have to deal with that because I'm in front of you. Um, and footnote, part of the reason that it's a real concern for children and, and teens to spend a lot of time on social media um, is that they're still developing those skills. Um, psychologically to understand and read emotions. So if they don't have enough of that face-to-face, it's a concern, right?
0: Which is a, I mean, this is an aside certainly, but I mean, that skill is, I think one of the most important skills a parent can teach their child. Absolutely. Is how to engage socially.
1: So social engagement. So on a screen, I don't have to risk facing your reactions because I can, you know, put my landmine of a comment and walk away. You might, I might have to read what you put later, And that could still be difficult, but it's not in time facing up and owning my comment in a way that might call for something negative from you. And so the screen gives us that space. And I think in that space, we are emboldened to say a whole lot of things that we don't have to really face consequences for. It's a whole different kind of consequence to sit here and see your hurt or your anger Than to read about it later in a way that i'm still behind a safe screen having to respond you see i think there's a there's a mediation there by the screen that allows for a lessening of accountability Mm -hmm. when it comes to our social interactions and so we get away with a lot more right for that reason i think that's one real reason why we why we behave the way we do you know Um, right i don't know if you have thoughts on that i
0: i do i do as you were talking both now and then earlier, just with the conversation related to communication in general, when we talk about encounter, encountering another, and in me, not just encountering the other, but me sharing who I am and making a gift of myself, I was thinking about you have to know who you are to be able to share that. There has to be a certain level of self-knowledge and self-possession that precedes one's capacity towards self-gift. And if you don't have that, then, then that will inhibit your capacity to be a good communicator if you don't have a certain degree of self-possession. And so I think the same thing that, because I think sometimes the screens make it really easy because there's no accountability. When there's a lack of accountability, that doesn't force me to have to mature. That doesn't force me to have to think about myself and who I am and how I'm going to communicate to others because I can just rattle off comments without any real accountability. And then when I think I can get away with these comments, then it only becomes self-perpetuating that I can do it more. And the problem that I see with that is that it doesn't, people aren't taking this as an opportunity to, to reflect and look at your comments and say, man, I really said that. That's really, that's really harsh. I can't believe that I, that I made that rather than just being vindictive or, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right to this opinion or whatever, but rather than taking a moment of reflection and saying, was that, was that appropriate? And that's something that certainly I do in marriage counseling. Often is okay. You just said it that way. I mean, what, what, how do you feel when you said that? Is that really what you meant? And often people will just say that I'm I'm operating out of hurt. Um. Anyways, what do you think?
1: I think you make a couple of really powerful points to pick up, pick back, pick back up on regarding this, and it's the way that the medium works. Digital medium, digital uh, communication, kind of disposes us to act. In a couple of different ways. One of them being it's fast, it's rapid. It doesn't readily dispose us to reflection and time and timing and discerning and sitting down and pondering, gosh, is this is this the rest way? Is this the it it's it moves so fast, you know? someone puts up a comment, another one is firing underneath it and boom, 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 boom. So I think often we are operating out of impulse because of the rapidity of it then really that space for reflection and communication. Certainly it's not impossible to go back later to put something, but there's sort of a window for, let's say, for a comment feed in which it's going back and forth on fire. And so if one misses the window, a conversation doesn't really get picked up a week later. Maybe it does sometimes, but there's like a window where it's lively. And because it's brief, we don't have the luxury of reflecting over the appropriate comment. We should, and I would challenge and question, why don't we like, why isn't this something that was prayerfully wrought before it's put on the screen? Another aspect of digital media is that it's a networked reality, not a linear reality. So if one were to go back to look at record of a conversation at what was said, its not it doesn't look like a script for a play or something you could read in a book that's very clearly, he said, she said, it's it's kind of jumbled. And this person says this, and then there's a comment on that, and this person says this here. And so it's a lot more of a networked framework of how encounters are actually happening than A, B, C, D, E, F, right? So because right. it's networked and it's kind of messy um, and it's a web instead of a line, it's hard to, again, think back in a systematic way in terms of how do I insert something into the conversation? You see what I mean? Like the I do. record of it I do. isn't clear and cut. Right. Um, it's a web. And so how do I jump into the web? And how do I find the best place for this particular statement or comment? Again, that takes time. And this doesn't set up for it, This isn't set up for time and reflection as much as it would merit it. I think those are two observations I have that speak to the, ta- the challenge they were talking about.
0: This is Always Hope with Dr. Mario. Thanks for listening to this episode and allowing us to be part of your day. I hope that this conversation with Dr. Daniela has been a blessing to you. Let's go ahead and get back to the final part of the interview. Let's talk about the scandal all right, okay, in the church good. right now from this perspective. I am amazed at the difference between 2002 and 2018. And how different culture has or the capacity for these type of communications to happen over the 16 years. In 2002, when the scandal first broke at the church, all these things were in their infancy. The mm-hmm. iPhone had not been invented. People were blogging. Some people were podcasting, but we didn't quite reach its potential. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't mm-hmm. any of those things. So these platforms did not exist. But now in 2018, they do. And so there are there's information happening all over and lay people because everybody has a platform now feels angry and feel and they, they want to write, they, wanna, they want They want, they want to talk, they want to communicate, they want to share, they want to read. And there's just a lot that's out there in terms of what people are saying with regards to the the scandal. um, And so I guess, is it, my question is kind of twofold. Do you, do you, do you, one, do you notice the difference between 2002 and 2018? And and let's just start there. What do you, what do you think about that in terms of how people are responding to the scandal with comments and, and blogging and YouTubes and, and all that stuff?
1: So in 2002, I was aware of the scandal, but I was very young within my foray into this field as a career. Like I was still in school, um, just starting graduate school. In fact, so, I see it now as an adult professional, a lot different, especially working in a seminary kind, con- very, very different context for me. Okay. Of course. Also, I I became a parent, and this second time around, you think about a whole whole different set of risks and wounds when it involves imagining your child as part of some like that's a, a profound wound as a parent. Absolutely. I did not even have on the radar as a graduate student. Um, nonetheless, so that's just a personal context for yeah. how my yeah how my thought is shaped on this. But you're right in pointing out that in 2002 and thereabout, um, social communication was definitely different. Um, you would have things like email listservs, which were more limited in audience. Certainly the content of those could be reproduced, but you know, someone had to be on the listserv and therefore be in a group to be part of a conversation. Right. Um, blogs are similar, right? And also not that many people were online as there are today. You no, know? Of course,
0: because everybody's got iPhones now. So, Yes, so, it, yes. It's so a, the, the
1: population itself that was o- available to the conversation media through the, the computer wasn't as big as it is today. So, our culture has changed where we have these platforms by which everyone has a soapbox, if you will, or everyone's an author, everyone's a movie producer, or like, if, right. ind- depending on the, the medium, whether it's YouTube.
0: Everybody's so, a podcaster. Everyone's <laughs> a podcaster. No, well, you're, you're qualified,
1: absolutely. But, like, everyone's got the X. If you've got a, a computer and internet connection, like, you can have a voice. That's right. This is the world we live in today. And so, better off or for worse, we can use it. And I think that does make a difference in terms of people having a place to collectively process what is going on that is scandalous and shocking and broken. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in some ways that's, that's helpful and healthy. I think in some ways it could be healing because on, you know, on those days, and I'm sure many of your, uh, our listeners here have experiences where you just get overwhelmed by the darkness of a story. Of course. You're like, how, how in the world did this happen? And in, in those contexts, that could be a despairing place, a really dark place.
0: Oh, I I mean, I've, I've tasted that at times. It's hard. Absolutely, it's absolutely hard. hard. It's hard.
1: So then to then have to sit in isolation with that thought, I wonder about that, right? So social communication platforms give us a place to begin to find community around some of those ideas. And hopefully they're communities of hope.
0: Right.
1: Hopefully they're communities of, of a prophetic nature where we can move forward. And by community, I mean it very loosely here, like a conversation that formed around a topic with like-minded people, which is not, you know anthropological community but just a gathering a collective so that's that's that happens today that that is extended today at the same time we also have the challenge of picking and choosing communities within that that are going to be our silos and that in fact actually is divisive than collective right and so we have to grapple with how am I part of the larger conversation and how am I part of it in a constructive way rather than a way that divides further or harms further or um, causes yeah. deeper wounds.
0: Yeah. So, man, so many good things here, Danielle. Is it that people feel because they're so hurt by the church and there isn't real clear systems of feedback within the church itself? What I mean by that is that People tend to only go to the bishop when they have something negative to say, or people tend to go to the pastor when their times are hurt, but there isn't a real way to give any sort of feedback, whether it's constructive criticism or positive feedback or even negative feedback in a healthy way. And so is it that people feel, and I'm speculating at this, that that because they can't necessarily do that within the context of the church, that they go online and and the church is online, certainly because it's the people of God that are communicating digitally. And that's what we're trying to say. And I get that but they go to these communities online, which on one hand is is great because it, it gives some sense of connection, some encounter again with other people that are hurting. But at the same time, it could also lead to, I only go to those websites that I know I'm gonna get confirmation of my anger and uh, rather than something that's really gonna be informative or, or challenge me.
1: I think that is a symptom of media culture in general. Um, in our in our country and in, in these days right where media has perforated into um different approaches to ideology and politics and culture so i think we're trained in our greater cultural context to gain affirmation and strength from our camp and so i'm not surprised that there that is replicated in response to this the wounds and the scandals of the church because that's what we're doing about society, and right. politics. Right. So we're in a way modeling that and have learned that and modeling that. Um I don't know. I think that I, I hear within your question and, and and clarify this is what you're asking, but are you also sort of asking why not seek the avenues of the church as a as a vehicle for feedback as opposed to these other things? Like
0: Well I I, I think I feel like so I think if it's like people don't feel that that they maybe, maybe they don't feel that the pastor is saying enough or that the responses that they're getting, um, in letters, uh, from their local diocese aren't, aren't enough. And in 2002, those feelings, maybe if people had that would just be held privately among coffee or social, you know, engagements. But now people are having those conversations for everybody else to see.
1: I, okay, good. I, yes, I think there's, there's insight from culture, digital communication studies that can speak to this. And, I would add, too, that in 2002, another important dynamic to keep in mind is that although some of these abuse cases have gone on for decades, I think in our collective experience as American Catholics, 2002 was like the first big blow up of it Yes. in, a, in a such a massive way that then rippled. And I think at that point, because it was the first such experience of like a collective understanding of like, this is really a problem, um, we were hopeful that something would be done about it and we entrusted that process to our bishops who did go and meet in Dallas and all that. So I think part of the reaction to it that's different is that we we thought this something would be done about this already, you know, 16 years ago. And that it comes up again, that it's another I think that is part of why people are more likely to then take the conversation into their own hands, if you will. Right. Because we've we've tried and we've hoped that this would and it has. Um, another aspect I want to bring in from digital cultural studies is the concept of participatory culture.
0: Okay. What do you mean? What is that?
1: Okay. So this is a term that speaks, um, it's coined in some ways by a scholar named Henry Jenkins, but it's a reality that he speaks about that doesn't just speak to digital contexts, but just people and collectives in general. And how do people become part of collectives? And, um, he he speaks about participatory cultures in which people become part of the conversation by means of um, mimicking practices of people who are already seasoned members of the community and being kind of initiated alongside them, having a voice and having an an ability to contribute to the conversation seen as something valued, and kind of understanding their belonging to the, the community, whatever it is, through their exercise of voice. And we more and more have assumed this as normative in light of digital technologies giving us gadgets that we can, you know, from our pockets use to say anything to the world. So we're more and more accepting the fact and assuming the fact that we're living in a participatory culture in which we can exercise our voice and that somehow may, makes a difference somewhere out there. And whether that's something as silly as posting um, a cat video or something as profound as somebody revealing something really meaningful about themselves in a the context of a blog like it's the same dynamic of i believe that my contribution matters and that dynamic motivates my voice to be used
0: right and so that sense of wanting your voice to matter that sense of wanting to again belong of knowing that what i have to say is going to be heard is going to be understood we're seeing all that which is great I guess sometimes the convenience of the internet, and this is an observation, allows what you had said just a few minutes ago about the silo culture mm-hmm. in that we only go to websites right to confirm our thoughts rather than really be challenged because now we can we can go to the specific websites with the specific people that are going to be encouraging us a certain way. If I may say this, you know, with great reverence to to the scandal and to the circumstances that we're facing as a church, because it's it's real, but as just an observer of culture, you see this playing out, God have mercy on our church. And so there are a number of bombshells that happened over the last few months. But one of the biggest, of course, was the Vigano statements against Pope Francis and those accusations. And immediately, as I read the various outlets, you can see so clearly the, the political kind of lines were drawn, right? So those on the right who had bent up aggression against Francis for five years took this as the opportunity to say, "See, I've told you, right?" So people are rattling off on Twitter, websites are writing things out. I told you this was it. This is what this guy has always been, right? And then you have on the left the saying, "Oh no, Bigano is vindictive. Don't listen to him. We're going to shoot his. We're going to you know shoot his credibility." Um, And it's like, oh my goodness, like, God have mercy. Like, what's happening to us in our culture? What happens to our church when we get caught into these political distinctions? I mean, why can't it be both? I mean, why, what if, what if his intentions weren't the best? Okay, what if? But at the same time, are the accusations true? And what do we need to do with that? And I'm not asking you to answer that per se, as much as just this observation of seeing how it's good that we have belonging. It's good that we want to feel connected. But sometimes I wonder if it can work against us when we only go to those avenues that are going to confirm our, our anger or dismissiveness or whatever.
1: So going back to our earlier conversation, communication should forge communion. And in this example, it's not it's for it's forging the opposite it's forging camps and divisions and brokenness and so i think something to return to is especially as people of faith and especially within the church as we're processing our own reactions to this and seeking silos is is my digital communication practice whether it's absorbing consuming or producing content leading towards communion or not and to really have those a question to sit with because you know what it's really hard to face in an emotionally charged context that is about woundedness that we're all feeling in different ways, it is really hard to hear the other side and their, their points over and over again. It's really hard to sit at that, but it's really hard to do that, which is why we want to heal and be comforted by our own perspective. So it's really hard to do the opposite. But in fact, that's the cross, right? Yes. So I think if we're going to call ourselves Christians and Catholics and take seriously what we're baptized into, Paschal mystery, the death and the resurrection of the Lord, the, the darkness of the tomb and Easter morning, darkness and light. So that's where it's a challenge. And I think that's where communication as first a spiritual disposition that is informed by theology could lead us into a more constructive place than I'm going to seek seek my own tribe
0: Yes. Yeah, so let's make it real concrete. Let's say somebody's listening to this and they want to rattle off a, a tweet about whatever comes down the pike. What advice would you give that person before they just start rattling off?
1: I would say this. You are a baptized member of the body of Christ. And in such, you are a person that's called to share in the mission and ministry of the church. And the mission and ministry of the church is most basically defined by evangelization. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ with the word, world, in word, deed, witness of life. So does that baptismal charge that you have show through on this tweet? Are you in fact sharing the good news through this word or through this phrase or through this image? Is it good news to somebody who's going to see that content? And really discern that. And by good news, what do we mean? How is it well, just the sheer fact of it? is it does it is it life giving? Is it building something up? Is it portraying hope? Is it portraying joy? Is it portraying possibility? Is it manifesting the fruits of the spirit, patience, goodness, kindness, and such, especially self-control? That's one of the fruits of the spirit. yes, those are those are categories to think about in terms of checking up on our own communication practices. If we want to see ourselves authentically as disciples who are called out who are called to do this, if you are baptized, that's baseline for all of us. I don't care if you're a broadcaster or a priest or a layperson. If you have a voice, evangelization coming from your baptism should shape that voice for witness. and I would say that
0: beautiful. what a beautiful, beautiful challenge to all of us beyond the scandal, just best practices. and is there anything else you want to say in terms of online use? Uh, Facebook or anything else, or, or did you just kind of kind of nail it?
1: I would add to this practical things, such as awareness of the medium. This is always on, always there, always flowing. It's networked, and it it doesn't. There isn't really like a shut off time. Like I, so I grew up in Eastern Europe um, till I was a teenager, and I remember we had two channels in Hungary in the eighties. Then now we have a lot more. Okay, but when I was really little, it was two channels, and they like went off the air at night. Okay? That's crazy. So, there was no um, broadcast after such a time. Like, the last thing that was played was the anthem, and then it went, like, fuzzy with the black and white dots until morning when it started again. Mm-hmm. So, that is not how the internet works as a medium. <laughs> it's always on, always flowing, always, you know. So, it's not going to turn itself off for us. So, we have agency by the use of our own gadgets and our own practices to... um to have a discipline within within our own practices, to have this be something we do this reasonably and engaged in a way that doesn't take over the rest of our lives.
0: So if I'm hearing you right, you're saying that act like a person. <laughs> and we're people. And, and don't think that just because you're hiding behind a screen that that gives you free license to stop acting like a person or stop doing the real work of transformation, which Jesus has called all of us to. The, the growth of responsibility, of of growing in my capacity to love and to encounter another like don't cheapen it. I mean, the medium has a great potential, has a great gift. That's there. Don't cheapen it. Don't cheapen it. Like use it for what it's supposed to be used for. But that means you have to grow in yourself to, to be able to, to be sharp with what you're saying and, and loving with what you're saying and blessing people with what you're saying. Cause we all have the potential to bless or to curse. And if we acknowledge that our agency, the free agency that we have as human beings is primarily there so that we can encounter God and encounter others, then let's use these platforms for that. Is that right?
1: Amen. Amen. I stand behind that statement.
0: All right. Awesome. So as we wrap up, anything you want to plug? What do you got? What do you got doing? Any, 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 anything you want to promote to, to the listeners?
1: Well, I'm excited about my continued work formation at the seminary. Notre Dame seminary is doing great things here in New Orleans. So I'm definitely part of that. Um, it also has a lay program for anybody who's interested, who's in the area, uh, ministerial formation and theology. So we have a website that talks about that through nds.edu. I would plug that.
0: Yeah. Sounds great. Well, Dr. Daniela, God bless you and all the many great endeavors that the Lord has called you to do. Bless you as a, as a wife, as a mother, and uh, continue to bless that work that you do with the seminarians and the lay people there at Notre Dame Seminary.
1: Thank you. Amen. Let it be so.
0: Amen. Awesome. Another great show is done. Heed Dr. Daniela's words and remember that whenever you tweet, text, DM, or Snapchat, that you are still talking to other human beings who deserve your love and respect. The power is on you, on all of us, to make the internet more charitable. If you have enjoyed this episode, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Mario Sacasa. Be good and have a great day.